We are in a series called First Things, the priorities or the priority of the Christian life. What are they? What, what are the priorities of living into the Christian life and the Christian faith? And today I want to talk with you about the subject of worship. Worship. And so we're going to be reading all of Revelation 4 and all of Revelation 5 together. But we're going to do something a bit different today. Um, I'm going to read the text. But every single time the angels or the elders, or the, the audience in heaven say something, I want our whole church to say it. Cool? So it'll be on the screen in, in italics. You'll know by then. If you're not reading from, if you're reading Old King James, could you read the screen? Because we will all be confused by what you're saying <laughs> if you're reading from your Bible. Um, I, I'm reading at an NIV, so uh, I'll be reading, and then when, it's, when it, it goes congregational, we're just going to, I'll say, and they said, and then everyone says it together, and then I'll keep reading. You'll catch on. It should, hopefully it's cool. If not, I'll ditch it. We won't do it tonight. Um, but if it's cool, we'll do it tonight. All right. Revelation 4. And then when we're all done, I'll pray. I'm reading all four and all of five. Here it is. After this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face of like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creature had, creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, everyone, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, everyone, you are worthy, Lord God. Receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with, with the writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. And I, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break its seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as, a, as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, everyone, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, louder than, loud now. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh my gosh. Yes, praise God. Yeah. God, we, we, we thank you that this is, this is literally ultimate reality right here. This is like really what's going on right now. And we're here on earth, Lord, and we're like, oh, things are kind of bad. Things are really bad. I don't know if things have ever been this bad. But you're on that throne, God, and you know you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You are worthy to take history to its, its intended end. You are able and worthy to, to know what you're doing in this world to bring about your redemption. You, are, you know how to right every wrong. You know how to judge the world rightly. You know how to redeem. And so we say worthy, worthy, holy, holy, holy. And so today, would you just get us caught up in that? No matter where we're at in this life, no matter if we came in and we're like, I do not feel like worshiping. Or some of us that come in here like, I, the only thing I can actually do at this point is worship. However we've come in, would you wake us up to the reality that is before us? Would you help me to communicate these things in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. When I think back about the most profound moments in my life with God, moments I knew God was near me and I knew God was directing my life and I was confident that he was, he was leading me and he had like a future for me um, and that my life mattered. Those moments didn't come when I was reading some commentary. Those moments didn't come even when I was listening to a sermon. Those, I, I really believe in the power of a sermon to do that. Those moments in my life didn't come when I was on a missions trip or in an act of service informed by my faith in Christ. Though Those things are super important um, to our life with God. When I think back to those moments most profound to me in my life, they have come during times of worship for me. And I'm not talking about like Romans 12 worship where, uh, you know, like all of life is worship. That's true. I'm talking about singing loud, off key, passionately waiting for God in worship type of thing. And I, and I, don't, I don't really have a musical bone in my body. I can't clap on beats. Like I think Ty, Tyler today might ask the church to clap. I'm like, just don't be around me because I will just throw you all off beat. Um, I can't really sing, though I do remember one time uh, when I was 
kind of training to be a pastor. My pastor in Bakersfield uh, believed that the preaching pastor must also lead worship. So he made me lead worship for a Sunday. (laughs) And it was traumatic. So much so that even when I walked out here during worship, I have this like thing that happens to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, people are singing and I'm stepping out on stage. It's like, it's just, I was traumatized. Like I had to get up there and I didn't have a guitar or anything because I wouldn't, I wish I did because I would just act like I was playing. But I just stood, stood there and like pray, pray, everyone praise God, you know, that sort of thing. And uh. anyway, so moments of worship though have shaped me. Uh, I was called to move here to start this church, to be part of starting this church in a moment of worship. I was on my knees in the back of the sanctuary on the cold concrete floor of the church in Carpinteria, uh, where we're from, singing. And during that time, I was saying to God, I just want to know you, God. That's all. Whatever that, le- whatever, whatever that means, I just want to know you. And in that moment, God said, I'm calling you to San Francisco. And I remember saying, okay, there's got to be something else. Like, there's no way in the world I can go to that city. There's no way in the world. But in worship, when you're before the throne of God, you realize anything is possible, right? You're like, God, there's no way. Oh, you're on the throne. There's a way. That sort of thing. And then when when we started this church, we had prayer meetings of all sorts. We had small ones in my apartment when I still lived in Carpinteria. We had small ones when we moved here and started living here. And one of the things that we prayed over and over again would be true about this congregation, this specific church, especially um, when we would gather and worship on Sundays. We prayed that this would be true. And we prayed this verbatim over and over and over again, that a moment in God's presence can answer a lifetime of questions. We prayed that like moving into a city like San Francisco that is full of people with a lifetime of questions, deep questions they don't have, that don't have easy answers. Sometimes they don't have any answers. Sometimes you're not even looking for answers. You're actually looking for ultimate reality. You're actually, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for reason. That's what you're really asking. But we're having all these questions that in a moment in God's presence during congregational worship, through the gathered church and the sense that God is with us, that there would be like a a lifetime of questions that are answered in a moment where you would be in God's presence and all you would say would, would be, oh, okay, I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. Like that would happen. Like, um, like, the, the, like Simeon when he saw Jesus, the, the, the child Jesus when he was being dedicated. My eyes have seen your salvation. Like that sort of thing would happen. And we call this worship, guys. We call this worship. And I want to explain this morning why worship is so powerful. And why worship is so important. And that why we put it in a series on first things. So look at Revelation 4 and 5. When you, what you notice, I mean, you probably notice a lot of things in Revelation 4 and 5 when you read it. But one of the things is all these crazy living creatures, right? These figures around the throne of God. You have these living creatures that have eyes everywhere. Um, and then one looks like a lion, like a lion full of eyeballs. And then one looks like an ox full of eyeballs. And then one looks like a man and an eagle full of, It's just really weird. Now, these are probably heavenly beings that represent all of creation. Okay? Probably symbolically, that's what they mean. And you have these 24 elders who wear white robes, symbolizing purity and victory and worship. They have golden crowns, symbolizing that they share in God's reign. And these are probably representing all the people of God. And so you have this picture of every, every living creature and every person of God around the throne room. Now, but more important than their identity, because a lot of us, when we read Revelation, we're like, well, who is this? More important than their identity is their activity. What are they doing? That should be something that informs us as we're reading Revelation. What 
are they doing? And the answer is, they never stop praising and worshiping the worthiness of God, the eternal one, the creator. They never stop worshiping. Day and night, forever, they are saying, holy, holy, holy. So much so that in Revelation 5, they have to like put a moniker in there like, oh, and then they sang a new song. Because this other song, they've been singing forever. And it's not old. They just got a new one now. And the new song is about the lamb, about Jesus. Now, what's going on here? In Revelation, what we actually get, what Revelation is actually, is that we get a peek behind the veil. And we get to see the heartbeat of the cosmos. And the heartbeat of the cosmos, what keeps everything together is the unceasing worship of God. That, Revelation would say this, that is actually ultimate reality. And actually in Revelation, there's this huge war against the beast and the dragon and God. And all of Revelation is about the, our, our allegiances. Who will we worship? Will we worship whore, mystery, Babylon? Will we worship the beast, Satan, or the society that we live under? Or will we worship God? And ultimate reality is the worship of God, the unceasing worship of God because he's holy and he's worthy and because Jesus has redeemed us through his sacrificial love. And that is ultimate reality. Even when we humans on earth do not see it, even when we will not participate in it, even when we don't value worship of God, God and the unceasing worship of God is at the very center of reality. Which explains very practically and vividly the importance of gathering regularly for congregational worship. This gathered church is so important. It is important for your life. It is important for the life of this city. Every week the church, those who follow Jesus, stop their week or start their week, however you want to see it. We start our week by collectively showing up at the same place, at the same time, together. And what we do together is we like log into a live stream of what's really going on in ultimate reality. That's exactly what we're doing. We all show up at the same time in the same place. We're like, okay, we're about to like link up to what's really, really going on. We've all read the news this week. We've all lived through our, our worlds this week. But what we're going to do is we're going to stop and we're all going to connect to what's really, really going on in ultimate reality. And then we start with holy, holy, holy. No matter what's going on in the world or in our small little worlds, we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is why church doesn't start at 1030 or 630 p.m. We don't start church. We don't start worship. We do every single time we begin our gatherings, we begin with a call to worship, which there's a big difference. We don't say, hey, worship starts at 1030. Worship doesn't start at 1030. At 1030, what we do is we do a call to worship. And a call to worship is a congregational call to collectively participate in worship that has already been going on forever. So when you show up at 1030 and one of, usually someone from our leadership community walks right up here and says, good morning, church. Would you stand for the call to worship? What we're doing is this congregational call to go, okay, we're going to stand up today and we're going to connect to what's been going on forever. And you, don't, you might not have realized it. You might not have seen it. You might have been caught up in your own little worlds. We're going we're gonna to start by getting our hearts ready so we can connect to ultimate reality. And this corporate time of singing and learning and praying and responding to God shapes us. This forms us. This forms us because, um, because it informs us about really what ultimate reality is. It's an act of counterformation. 
Meaning, you are formed in all of these different ways throughout the week. You are formed by buying and selling. You are informed by meeting certain deadlines and quotas. You're informed by working at your job and trying to do a certain thing that you do at your job. Whatever you do, you're informed by all these advertisements that you see when you're all over the world. You're informed by all of these things and they shape you. And you work for companies and you live in a world system that desires your total devotion, your praise, your crowns. But every week we stop and we say, only God is worthy to receive what others may want or demand. Only God is worthy of my total devotion. Only God is worthy of my life. Only God. And we do this together every single week. This is so important why we stop and we sing. We stop and we learn. We stop and we come under the scriptures. We come, we, we stop. If, if we feel like it or not, we drag our dead bones to church because someone next to us might have the courage to sing songs that we don't have words to and their faith encourages our faith. This is, this is what we need. This is why we need congregational worship. So worship reorients us to ultimate reality. It takes what we think is ultimate reality and reorients us. No, God's in the center. God is worthy to be worshiped. He's the only one that can handle our total devotion. He's the only one that shapes us in the right way. He's the only one. That's why if you skip church and you think, oh, I can just get the podcast, that is not the same thing at all. Like if you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to church. I'll get the podcast. That's, the church isn't about the sermon at all. At all. It's about the people of God gathered to connect with ultimate reality and respond with our bodies to what God, what the Spirit is saying to the church. That's what, that's what this is about. That's why if you squeeze in last minute in church, I don't have to show up until like the sermon starts around this time really. So don't have to show up to that. No, no, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the thing. Like it's showing up and going, we are together as a church connecting to ultimate reality. And then we are, every single part of this gathering is, is thought through with intentionality to go, what forms us, what, count, what needs to be counterformed in our lives, what needs to be said, what needs to be done so that we can become God's people today through this gathering. How can we become God's people? Worship reorients us to ultimate reality. Now let me explain why this is true and how this is true. Why is it true that worship reorients us to ultimate reality and how it's true? So first, why it's true. David Foster Wallace, the American novelist who, um, who is deceased, uh, said this. He said, uh, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the very compelling reason, and for, as far as I can tell, as far as people I've talked to, he was not a, a follower of Jesus. He says, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths and proverbs and cliches and epigrams and parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in our daily consciousness. That's so good. He says, he says, he calls it a trick. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a trick. Okay, I think it's more of a practice. It's the practice of keeping the truth in front of our daily consciousness. It's the practice of keeping ultimate reality in front of our minds always. Because what, he, what, what DFW is, is saying is that what you worship forms you. 
What you worship shapes you. What you worship orients you. He's basically saying you are what you worship. And if you worship money, it will eat you alive. You will become a greedy soul. If you worship sex and allure, it will eat you alive. You will be an ugly soul. The great thing about worshiping God, I mean, he's not saying this. Now I'm saying it. The thing about worshiping, the ultimate reality is that you become like God. You become what you worship. Last week, I quoted to you a lecture by David Brooks, um, who is an author and, and a, a columnist for the New York Times and professor. And um, I mentioned this lecture to you, a lecture that he, that he gave called The Second Mountain or something like that. I told you to listen to it. And in that lecture, in that same lecture, he said that um, he believes that one of the reasons why it's so hard uh, for people, young adults, people in their 20s and early 30s, to grow up in our culture, to find meaning and purpose in life, he says, is because he said, we have made three bad philosophical bets as a culture. He said three bad philosophical bets, which has made it an almost impossible place to find purpose in this world. He said, and I won't name all three, but the second one, he said this. He said, I'm going to frame this in a very pseudo-intellectual way, but this is, this is what he said. He said, as a culture, we have chosen Descartes when we, have, when we should have chosen Augustine. And that's the bad philosophical bet he said we made. He said, we, cho we chose to think of ourselves as cognitive thinking creatures Descartes, I think therefore I am, instead of um, when, he said, when we are primarily longing and loving creatures. He said, we have chosen to believe that we are thinking creatures. We have chosen to believe, I think therefore I am. So the world just needs more knowledge and more education and more information. And the more information we give them, then we will be a good people. He was that's a bad philosophical bet. We are not thinking beings as much as we're truly feeling, longing, loving beings. What, like Augustine has said, we, you are what you love. He says, and what, what, what we think is, is that we, we could think ourselves into um, morality. We could think if we know the right things, if we just have all the right information, we can make our world better. But it's not true. It is not true at all. Our world is not better and our world does not have um, that much more meaning because of the information. Because, and the reason why he says this, because we are actually shaped by our loves. We are shaped by our desires. We are shaped by what we worship. Example is we know, this is what we know. We know buying responsible and ethical things not made by slaves is a good thing. We, we know this. This is a very important thing. We know this because we've watched documentaries on Netflix about this. We've read blogs about this and read articles about this. But we really want that new cheap t-shirt that's on sale for $1.75 or something at the store. Like we really want this. We really want the new iPhone. And our minds don't make that decision. Our desires make that decision. Our desire to want a thing and want it for a good price overrides what we know about how it was made. We know, like, oh, it's not made right. It's not made that well. I mean, it's made by people. It's just not, but I want the thing. And I can afford this thing. We know eating farm to table is better for our bodies and the environment. But our body like craves Panda Express. My body <laughs> craves Panda. Right? Like I know, I know. I go to the airport. I'm like, okay, wise, Dave. Be wise, be wise. And then I, just, that like just is there. The 
the seal of Panda Express. And I'm like, Ooh, like longing creatures. This is, this is horrifically and graphically summed up by R. Kelly. And in his 1993 hit song, if you remember this, you probably weren't alive then, but he says, he, he starts his song off by saying, my mind keeps telling me no, but my body, my body is telling me yes. Okay, so, which is basically Augustine theology at its worst. That's basically what it is. By the way, that song comes to my mind every single time I walk by Panda Express. Every time. My wife knows. Um, this, this, this is actually who we are. This is true. We, 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 we're, we are thinking people. Obviously, that's, it's stupid to say that we're not. But we're primarily creatures of desire. We are primarily longing creatures. We are primarily shaped by what we want. And, and not that our desires are too much. Not that God's like, you have just too much desire. You want everything. That you just want too much. That's not, that's not the problem. Uh, philosopher C.S. Lewis said that our desires, it's not that our desires are too strong. He says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are longing creatures and worship connects us to our ultimate longing, which is for God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks one of the most famous and most important questions anyone can ever ask themselves. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts like this, and you've probably heard this. What is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of man? What is man's purpose, mankind, people, right? Purpose on the earth to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here's our modern catechism. Catechism is the way that we're formed, right? What we learn. Modern catechism would say, what is the chief end of man? To acquire stuff with the illusion that I can enjoy it forever. Like, how do I get stuff and experiences and things and people with the, with the illusion that I will have this forever? You might not say that, but you believe that. I do, many times. I have to constantly be checking my heart and motives because I am immersed in civic rituals of this city which form me against the purposes of God for my life. And I must be counterformed. Last week after church, I was up front talking to a few people and I talked to one of my friends who works at Pinterest. And I go, hey, oh, by the way, confession. I have a confession. It's like, what? I'm like, I started using Pinterest. <laughs> He's like, what? I thought you would use that long time ago. Like, I'm like, no, 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 no I couldn't. I, I don't even want to now. Like, like, it's just too addicting. It's way too addicting. He's like, I totally thought you would love it. He's like, you like, you like design stuff. You like fashion stuff. You, would like, this, you have all these things. I go, I know. That's why. My heart is an idol factory. And Pinterest is like Pantheon, right? It's like my Pantheon. That's exactly, I, Ash and I went to Rome this summer and went to the Pantheon, like, Pantheon's this giant, beautiful building, and they just collect little idols, all little gods, and that's what Pinterest is. Like, you go like, oh, I want this. Just go to my board. Go to, go to my Pantheon. 
And then you have a pantheon of things like, oh, you want to see all my idols? Look at, look at all this. This curated idolatry. Just, this is my, this is my pantheon. That's, and I go, that's what it is for me. That's why I couldn't do it. And now I'm just doing it very subtly with a lot of parameters. I just don't, and it's not even real. It's not even real idols. They're just things. And he laughed and he goes, well, it's working. I'm like, ah, oh, I know it is. I, ha I hate it. And what I do, and no, no hate if you work there. That's fine. I mean, it's whatever. Um, but it doesn't, like, we went to stop and think about this. Doesn't most things around here that we're creating have something to do with this? Like tap into some sort of thing because we know we're desire. We're creatures that are really after longing and desire. And we've just curated something that is not the ultimate thing. I've, well, when we come into the house of God, when we come into worship, we're saying you are ultimate reality. And would you destroy the pantheon of idolatry and idols that I've collected this week? And would I move into a way of being and living that every single day you are destroying my idols? Every day, every little thing that I love and like, I want to collect and all its desire and want, would you reshape that so that I want what you want? See, discipleship to Jesus is more of a hungering and thirsting than a knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his loves and his longings. To want what he wants, to desire what he desires, to hunger and thirst and crave for the world that he's creating. And Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but he forms our loves. This is why worship is first thing, stuff. You probably want or expect me to say something about the poor or working for justice and preaching the gospel. And all of those things are resounding, yes. But what it informs and shapes our loves are not sermons about that, not new information. Well, you know the world is broken. You know you need to, to, to work for the poor. You know this stuff. What changes our longings is worship, where we start wanting what God wants. That's, that's what changes us. It starts shaping our longings and our desires and our purposes for his world. Eugene Peterson says he, um, in his commentary on Revelation, he defines what worship is. And he says, this is worship. He says, worship is a meeting at the center so that our lives are centered in God and not lived eccentrically. We worship so that we live in response to and from this center. The living God, failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasms and jerks at every mercy and every advertisement, every seduction and every siren. If there is no center, there is no circumference. People who do not worship are swept into vast restlessness, epidemic in the world, with no steady direction and so no sustained purpose. Worship centers us. So we're not floating around like, oh, I want this, I want that, I want this. It centers us so that it reorients us to ultimate reality. How? How does this work? Here's why I want to talk about singing for a little bit. Okay? Singing. Why do we, when we say worship, why do we, why singing? Why is a lot of our gathering singing? Why is singing a part of worship? Uh, recently, Chance the Rapper was uh, being interviewed. I'm sorry. You knew that was coming. I'm sorry. Chance was being interviewed by Stephen Colbert. And Stephen Colbert was asking Chance about going to church. Do you still go to church still? Do you still go every week? He said, absolutely, I still go to church. And, he, and this is what Chance said. This is, this is what he said about singing about going to church and singing. He said, singing is praying twice. That's good. Singing is praying twice. And what he meant by that was this. Words 
have their own meaning, but the expression of awe of your heart comes through the sound of music in ways the words by themselves cannot capture. So I could, this is, this is why whenever I quote songs, they're like, well, I don't know, that's a good song, whatever. But when you sing a song, it's completely different. Singing is praying twice because not only are you, are, are, or singing is praying twice because not only are you saying the words, which is a prayer in themselves, but singing them comes from a deeper place in you that actually like prays again. But it prays through your emotion, through your desires, through your longings, which is like if I say, if I quote that song, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. You're like, hmm, that's great, great words. But when you sing that song, when you sing it, you pray it in a different way. Not only are you saying it, but you're saying it. You're singing it. It's coming from like your, the, the very insides of you, your desires, your longings, like that. Now, you might be thinking, well, what if I don't feel like worshiping? Like, I, I mean, there are many times that I walk into church, like, I do not feel like singing. I do not feel like worshiping. I do not feel like kneeling. I don't feel like going to communion. I don't feel like raising my hands or whatever that means. I don't feel like it. What do you do then? The night of Jesus' betrayal, um, we, we just received communion before the gathering, I mean, before uh, the sermon, uh, during the first set of worship, um, and we took communion. And Jesus gave his disciples communion on the night of his betrayal, and it was an intense night, of, the most intense night of his ministry. He gives his disciples communion. He tells them that someone will betray him. It's so, and he's like, how I've longed to have this meal with you. He washes their feet. There's a little bit of argument about who's better. Like it's this really tense moment. And then right after this very tense emotional moment, it says this in Mark, and you might've skipped over this verse of scripture. I've always just stopped and meditated on this. Mark 14, 26, right after all this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Like in the middle of all of this intense, like uh, Judas is about to betray Jesus. Jesus is like, like super, super sad that someone's going to betray him. He knows that Peter's going to deny him. Um, in the middle of like, I'm going to leave you. I, I, I really long to have this last meal with you. Take this in remembrance of me. I'm about to die. And they're just so confused. He's like, let's, you know what? Let's sing a hymn. I don't imagine the disciples are like, What? I don't feel like singing him. What's happening right now, Jesus? Like, what are you doing? What's going to be going on? Why did Jesus just leave? And you told him he's a betray. And Peter's like, I'm not going to deny you. Like, what's happening? He's like, you know what? Let's sing a hymn. And then Jesus starts leading them in a hymn. I can imagine that the furthest thing that felt like they wanted to do was sing. Sometimes you worship when you don't feel like it, but you have to. Like, you have to because you need to reorient your mind around ultimate reality. This last week, I was researching African-American spirituals. Historically, um, you might have known them as uh, Negro spirituals. And the origin of, uh, of gospel music is African-American spirituals. And I was watching a documentary on this. And Dr. James Norris, the professor of music at Howard University in D.C., and the director of, he's also the director of the Howard Choir, was being interviewed on this, on this um, documentary. And he was talking about how these songs, these spirituals came out of struggle and the horrific pains of slavery. And he said this, he said, I look at them and I marvel. I marvel on how we got through all of this. 
How we got through it all? By what? Singing. I was watching that. I was like, I paused. I was like, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not expect him to say that. The power of song. He said, how did we get through this? I mean, you can name a million things. How did he describe how, we got, how he, they got through it? How did he describe, how did they get through this, the most horrific part of American history? Well, one of the most horrific parts of American history. He said, the power of song, the power of singing. This is, this is, this is the power of song and the power of faith in song. It tells our hearts and our minds that there is a greater and more true reality than what we see and that what we are experiencing. This is what it does. And some of you guys might not understand this, but those of us or those of you who have gone through in just the, the, the hardest struggle, the only thing you can do is sing of a, a greater reality that's coming. Like I think of the, the spiritual wade in the water. It's like one of the most famous spirituals. Wade in the water children wade in the water and the next line is because God's going to trouble the water and so you're singing this you're like we're going to wade in this like like we're going to wade in this mess that we're in we're going to wade in this world we're going to be in it because one day God's going to trouble it one day God's going to disrupt it and that is our hope and we sing about this this is such an important part of singing even we don't feel like it like to sing with your voice, to sing loudly, to, to respond with your body. Not only is singing an important part of re, the reorientation that worship brings, but it's also uh, the posture of worship is important. The word worship, the term worship um, is used, uh, the Greek word is uh, proskuneo. And it's used 24 times in reference to worship. And, and this word literally means to pay homage by kissing or kneeling. So the word worship in the New Testament is tied to a physical posture. It's not just tied to singing, though it is. It's tied to something we do with our bodies. When we worship God, we kiss, this is the word, kiss God, or we bow to God. So worship has to do with our body. Um, Amy Cuddy has this, uh, this um, TED talk called Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. She talks about the power of uh, the power pose and how you, uh, as, a, as, a, um, as a social scientist, how, how your body informs. She says body language is actually a language. And when your body is doing certain things, um, it can actually inform your mind and your heart that it is true about you. So she says power pose before you like walk into an interview is super important. Like to hold a power pose for like two minutes. She's like, I don't know what, like, I don't know what the power pose was. <laughs> like hold a, hold a pose and then go in your interview and then it will actually uh, like, like do something physiologically to your body and to your brain. It'll like boost your confidence. Hold a smile for two minutes. It like physical posture informs your mind and your heart. And I think this exact same thing is true of our physical posture when we, when we worship. When we lift our hands, even when we don't feel like it, when we kneel, it informs us. It informs our mind and our brain that this is true. This is who God is and this is who I am. Worship like this is partnering with our bodies to speak prophetically like over, over us, the identity of our, of our souls over us. It's like we, we posture ourselves and we like prophetically say, I am God's. He rules the world. He's in charge of all of this. I am not. Like, it, like it, I am a child of God. It's like our bodies partner with us to speak prophetically. This is true about us. Now, 
don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying I want you to show up to church and like sing when you don't feel like it and raise your hands when you don't feel like it. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. That's not, I'm not saying that. You're like, what about, I want to be authentic. That's not authentic. <laughs> like, like I can't fake it right now. That, that, that's not, I'm not, I'm not saying fake it till you make it is actually agreeing to be complicit in a lie. Um, what, what this is, is practice till you become it. That, all that, um, but I was, Tyler wrote that, our worship guy. He, that's a direct quote. He's like, dude, no, it's, it's practice till you become it. And I'm like, just write that down. I'll quote you, I promise. He's, this is so true. Practice till you become it means that this is true of me and this is true of God and I will practice it until my mind and my heart get in sync with ultimate reality. Because what I might be feeling might not be that true. It might, it's just a, an emotion. Those come and go. We're all very emotional pe- people. I am. What this is is like what's truer than the way I feel that God is worthy even if it's like, God, I feel like not worshiping right now and I want to be honest with you. I don't feel like doing this, but I will because you are worthy and you are ultimate reality. And this is ultimate reality. Revelation 5, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and with a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. What is so beautiful about this is that they're worshiping God and he has emeralds and rubies and rainbow, like beauty. And then they worship the lamb who's on the throne and he's a slain lamb. But he's the lion. But he looks like a lamb. But he's the lion. He's the lion who's conquered. And how has he conquered? By giving his life to redeem us. And that's the beauty. The angels, you notice, um, if you're reading this, you notice that the angels are, are the ones doing this. But the angels never say that, that Jesus has redeemed them because that's not true. Angels cannot be redeemed by the blood of Christ. They actually say, you are worthy because you redeem men and women for God. People from every tongue, tribe, and language. We worship Jesus because he has redeemed us. So everything that the angels are saying is true. And it's probably more true of us because he's redeemed us. And so when we stand before the throne of God in worship, we worship because we are redeemed people. That he has redeemed us. And we say, you are worthy to receive wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And he is worthy of our hands being lifted, our knees being bowed, all of it. And so as we move into a time of responding, we we are going to ask you today to consider leveling up in your worship. Okay? So if you are someone who sits during worship the whole time, would you just level up by standing today? Just stand up. During worship. If you stand up and you stand there, would you consider lifting your hands? Maybe they're like this. Just like, hey, little, that's enough. That's, <laughs> that's leveling up. If you tend to do this, like, would you, would you consider like this? Like, would you consider that? Just hands in the air. Would you consider if you do that, um, then to come forward and kneel? Like whatever it is, we just want you to take it like a, as a church to take a step of faith. If, if you are like, oh, no, 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 I, I like raise one hand during worship, raise two. Why well, raise two? Well, then start swaying like or at a clap or something like, like level up a bit in your worship. Like just take a step of faith as a church community and go, um, it might be just, it might be praying out loud today during the middle of worship, uh, spontaneously praying. Like what, whatever, whatever it is um, so that you're not... Um, 
the only caveat I would add, so you're not completely distracting the people around you. So if you're just flailing around and like <laughs> knocking people out, like that, you're, people are like, hey, I'm just standing for the first time and I got hit by someone's head, arm or whatever. <laughs> so just, just be mindful of that, okay? So if you, like, if you like full on dance, like go to the back and get your groove on, dance. Just maybe up front might not be the best, right? So, um, church, this is, this is a really important thing to our, the life of our community. That we would be people who no matter, uh, I think this is a prophetic thing. I've, I believe this ever since our church started when, when um, uh, several hundred people gather on a Sunday morning in the middle of San Francisco and say, Jesus is worthy of glory, honor, power, and praise. I think that does something spiritually in our city, just shifts things a bit. So we are a part of that. We are a part of, of conspiring with God to shift the spiritual climate of San Francisco through our worship and praise. Let's do that now. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you so much for that you would allow, that you would um, invite us into this very, very intimate place of uh, worship. That we can kneel before you and give you praise that we can start to cultivate in our own minds and our own hearts right now a heart of worship and musical praise to you. That it would inform us that we would be people where I just pray even right now prophetically that you would allow new songs to come out of our church community. That you would give us new songs. Like just like it says in Revelation, they sang a new song. Would you give us new songs to sing, God? We desire um, the, the praise of Christ to be on our lips to inform us and counterform us in the way of Jesus. And I pray even now as we worship, for those in here who do not trust in you, Christ, who are still very curious and they've come with a whole lifetime of questions, in the way that you know how, would you answer them all in a moment in your presence? In Christ's name, amen.